from the 8th chapter of the epistle by St. Paul the Apostle to the Romans. Brethren, I reckon that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come that shall be revealed in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. As you can tell, uh, I have a bit of a respiratory problem this morning. Uh, uh, we've had quite a bit of sickness in the house, uh, some kind of awful summer flu or something. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it was, it's pretty awful, and uh, I think we're getting over it, but I hope you can hear me right. <clears throat> the, the epistle today is uh, a doozy. It's not the easiest epistle to understand, especially if we can't get inside, in some way, of the head of a person like St. Paul, to get inside the way that a first century Jew would have thought, which is how our Lord also would have thought, being also a first century Jew. We have to make a kind of leap in our understanding because our world has become so very different from that world. I think you can make an argument that uh, up to probably the time of the Reformation, um, and maybe even uh, up to the, the time of Napoleon, perhaps, there was still uh, enough of a similarity that when the modern world comes, a lot of these assumptions break down. A lot of the assumptions about what a human being is, uh, the human being's relationship to God, what a human body is, uh, what the physical world is, all of these things uh, we can no longer assume that when we say these words, that it means what St. Paul thought these words meant. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. So I'll do, try to do my best, according to my understanding, to, to get us in the, the mindset of someone like St. Paul. The first thing we have to understand is that they had a mindset which was not uh, moralistic or legalistic. And, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that he didn't believe in morality. He didn't believe in, in, in rules. Okay, He certainly did. Uh, the Jews uh, have the law, you know. Uh, and even when Christians said we don't have to keep every aspect of the ceremonial law of the Jews, the law stands. The law stands. But the worldview is not simply a moral worldview. It's a worldview that is theological and apocalyptic. What do I mean by apocalyptic? That sounds like, uh, I often, uh, we use that word to say, oh my gosh, it's getting apocalyptic, which means it's getting really bad. Uh, that's not really what it means. Apocalyptic means, it's the Greek word for pulling back the veil. When something has been hidden behind a veil, when the veil is
is pulled back by God or by someone else, then that is apocalypse. What we previously could not see has now been shown to us. So this makes sense of what St. Paul says about, I reckon that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come. It shall be revealed in us. So he says there's something within us, Christians, that is hidden at the moment, but someday will be revealed. The veil will be pulled back. Well, the expectation of the creature waits for the revelation of the sons of God. The creature, he means the world, the, the physical world. It waits for the revelation, the unveiling of the reality of God that is in us, we who are the sons of God. Okay? So, apocalypse doesn't mean the end times so much as it means the pulling back of the curtain, uh, uh, the revelation of a reality that was previously hidden to us. So what was hidden? St. Paul in other places speaks of a mystery that was hidden from the foundation of the world, but is now made known through the church. Through the church. What is the mystery? It is the incarnation of the Son of God in the womb of the Virgin. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Spirit, the birth of the church, the sacraments, Holy Mass, all of it. All of this stuff was hidden. The Jews didn't know about these things. They only had a very vague notion that Messiah was coming and that there would be a renewal and there would be salvation. There would be a, a, a way for us to... to to be in communion with God, not by an external means, but internally, that God would live in our hearts. They knew this, but they didn't know how. Now we know, because through the church, God has made it known. This is the gospel, okay? The gospel is apocalyptic. It means it was hidden, now it's revealed. But there are still aspects of the gospel that are waiting to be fulfilled. Right? Because we're still in a sinful world, aren't we? We're not in the, the kingdom of, of, of heaven where there's no pain, there's no sin, there's no this, there's no that. We're still in a world that is in need of redemption. Our Lord has redeemed the world, but we're in a period where that still needs to be applied to the world. Sunday. And that's the job of the church. The job of the church is to sanctify souls and to sanctify the world. So that's why we not only give Holy Communion uh, and, and baptize and things like that, but we also bless the physical <coughs> creation. We bless water. We bless the earth. We bless uh, anything that is molecular, the church can and does bless. So this is the mystery hidden. And the one who unveils, the one who reveals, is Christ. 
So the last book of the Bible is not the revelation of St. John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who pulls back the veil. He is the revealer of mysteries. So this is all very important to understand where Paul is coming from. So the mystery has been revealed in Christ, but he is not yet all in all. So St. Paul says that he will be all in all. That's a very difficult uh, notion to understand. What does it mean that God will be all in all? We don't really know. It's hard to say. But he will be the uh, even more present to us and to the world than he is now, if that's possible. We do not yet have a new heavens and a new earth. We are not yet resurrected and glorified in our bodies. When we die, our souls go to be in the presence of God, please God. Our souls will go to be in the presence of God. But the soul without the body is nothing. It's nothing. It's a lot. The soul without the body can do very little. Christianity is not a, a religion that, that is about the soul. You know, people say, save your soul. Well, that's not exactly right. Christianity is about the soul and the body. The soul and the body. There are forms of religion that hate the body, that don't want anything, anything to do with the body. That's not Christianity. And it was not the Judaism that Paul knew. Our true life will be physical as well as spiritual. We will have the sort of glorified body that Christ, we read about Christ having after his resurrection. It is our Lord's body. He has his wounds and his hands and his feet and his side. And yet at times he doesn't appear to be, they, they don't exactly recognize him sometimes. Uh, uh, Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener, for instance. Um, uh, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus think he's, think he's just sort of a, a traveler, and they don't recognize him until the breaking of the bread, until the Eucharist. They don't recognize him. The Lord appears uh, uh, from out of nowhere, from, uh, he, he go through walls and doors and all sorts of things. So it is a physical body, but it's glorified. And everything that Christ's body is, we will also be. That's what the church teaches. That's what St. Paul teaches. So this is our destiny. This is the destiny of the human person. Okay? This is mystical. Here's another word I'm going to throw out to you. And sometimes this word mystical, uh, uh, there's a lot of nonsense that goes by the word mystical. Right? Anything is mystical, you know. Uh, uh, bookshelves of, of bookstores that are full of garbage that goes by the, the term mystical. That's not mystical. Catholicism is true mysticism. It is also, I would say, an Eastern religion. Catholicism, Christianity, is an Eastern religion. If you go to the bookstore, they will have a section that says Eastern religion, with Buddhism and Hinduism and God knows what else. And then they'll have one that's called Western religion, and that's where all of your Christianity will be. That's incorrect. 
Christianity did not come from Berlin, uh, London, <coughs> Uh, did not come from uh, uh, Dublin, it did not come from Belfast, it did not come from any of these places. It didn't even come from Rome. It came from Jerusalem. It came from the Middle East. Christianity is an Eastern religion. The only Western religions there are would be Germanic, Norse, Celtic, Paganism. That's what Western religion that's not what we have. We have a mystical Eastern religion. That's Christianity. This has not been taught, it's been emphasized. So we have people who say, oh, well, I'm, I'm over the kind of Western stuff. I'm, I'm into Eastern mysticism now. I don't go to church. Uh, I don't do this and that. That's, that's garbage. I'm sorry. Christianity, if they had been taught Christianity is mystical and Eastern, perhaps they would have given it a better thought. There are people in Ireland today that, that they go after Reiki and, and yoga, and, and God knows, I don't even know people. Uh, Buddhism, you know, uh, uh, some people even turn to Islam. They say, well, Islam is this and that. You know, oh, it's so, so, so wonderful, they pray five times a day. In monasteries, we pray eight times a day plus one, you know, and the Muslims cut from us. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm going a little bit off here. What I'm trying to say is that Christianity is about the ultimate destiny of our souls and our bodies, it's not about rules. It's not about morality as such. It's about everything. Christianity is about everything. It's even about the physical creation. St. Paul says it. The creature, the expectation of the creature waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that made it subject in hope. Okay? So, the trees and the grass and the dogs and the cats and everything, <coughs> the birds and the bees, whatever you want to say, they didn't have any choice to be pulled into corruption. Uh, we're the ones who did that. We got them in trouble. Um, uh, uh, I often tell that to Gilda. I'm very sorry, Gilda. It's, it's all my fault. You know, it's Adam and Eve's fault, it's my fault. Uh, the fact that there is uh, um, an imbalance in creation, there's something that's broken, there's something that's not right. Uh, this is where, for instance, um, natural disasters come from. People say, how can God allow this? How can God make this tsunami? How can God make this? God doesn't make it, we made it. And God does not overturn human freedom. He doesn't. And so these things are, are, are part of the sad reality that is human sin. So St. Paul says, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that made it subject, but in hope. God allowed this from the perspective of hope. Because the creature also itself shall be delivered 
from the servitude of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the sons of God. The translation I have in this missile is, is, is not good, unfortunately. It says the children of God. This is also something that is very important to, to talk about. And this is going to get me in trouble with perhaps some of the ladies here, but I'm going to try to explain. God has no daughters. God has sons. That doesn't mean that people of the male sex are the only people that God has. What it means is that people of the male sex and the female sex are sons. There are no daughters of God. Why? Because in the language of the Bible, which is the language that we all base ourselves on, because if you get rid of the language of the Bible, you get rid of it all. In the language of the Bible, in the, in the, the cultural matrix of the Bible, the son is the one who inherits. Right? The daughter inherits nothing. So, unfair, yes, from the perspective of feminism. I'm sure we've, we've come a long way in terms of, 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 of uh, righting the wrongs done to women. But in the biblical culture, it's the son who inherits. So if St. Paul says uh, uh, that something about the daughter of God, the inheritance of the daughters of God, in a translation, it's not, uh, it's not accurate. St. Paul would never have said anything like the sons are the ones who inherit. So God has sons who are male and sons who are female. Because females, as well as males, inherit the promises of God. Okay? That's just something to put out there. It's very important. That's not just Jewish culture, that's Greco-Roman culture. So what is a son of God? Who is a son of God? What is a son of God? A son of God is a partaker of the divine nature. A partaker of the divine nature. That's an astonishing concept. How does flesh and blood inherit, partake of divinity? How is it that we can receive divinity and not just completely blow up? This is one of the central problems that Christianity, uh, that theology has to deal with. How is it that we can receive what God is without us just exploding? Well, uh, it's a mystery in some ways. Uh, uh, and Christianity loves the, the, um, the paradox of saying <coughs> The creator of all things, who, who created the universe and who himself cannot be contained, he became a little embryo in the womb of a little 13-year-old or 14-year-old Jewish virgin. And we sing that all the time uh, in, in the liturgy. How is it possible? God can make it possible. But we are partakers of the divine nature. Psalm 81 has God saying to us, you are gods and sons of the Most High. Now this is another thing that's going to make us nervous. Gods. Isn't that like Mormonism? You know, Mormons believe that uh, the 
the male is bringing to come a god and have his own flesh and all this stuff. That's not uh, it's in Christianity, and that's not what Psalm 81 means, and that's not what St. Peter means by partakers of the nature. We become God, not by nature, but by grace. By grace. We become what Christ is, what Christ is in his sonship by nature, being born of the Father before all ages, as we say in the Creed, we become by participation in Christ, by grace. So we, when Catholics say that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, that's how we are divinized, through the Holy Eucharist. The divinity is also present in the Eucharist. So, what is the vocation of the human being? It's to become a son of God. And that's a vocation that is difficult because in this life it is not a glorious thing. Every once in a while in the lives of the saints, there'll be a little pulling back of the veil, just a little bit, and we'll see a little bit of something. Sometimes, in some saints, it's a little bit more than others. So this is, these are the miracles that would happen in the lives of the saints. The saints are revealed as the sons of God. Almost God just pulls back a little so that we have a little bit of hope. We see in the saints uh, something that is divine, something that is miraculous to, to increase our faith. Because it's hard. It's hard living in a world that is so broken, and yet we have to believe all of these things that Christianity says. That everything's going to be set right. That uh, we're going to live with God forever. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's very hard, very hard to believe. Uh, for instance, when you watch uh, a man dying of <coughs> cancer in a hospital bed. It's hard to believe, you know? But we must believe. And God helps us. He meets us where we are sometimes by showing us little glimpses of that. But we are the sons of God. We who are baptized, we who are uh, anointed in confirmation. That's a priestly thing, by the way. Priests are anointed. Kings are anointed, and St. Peter says we are a royal priesthood. That's why, that's what confirmation is. And we are the sons of God who have received the whole Eucharist and who receive the whole Eucharist throughout our lives. That's what a son of God is. But it's not yet revealed what it is. St. Paul says elsewhere that when Moses came down from the mountain, they had to put a veil over his face because it was so glorious they couldn't even look at it. And uh, something like that is if we saw the reality of, of what was happening in each of us when we received Holy Communion, we couldn't see anything. The glory would be so immense that we'd all be blinded by it. And so it's almost a merciful thing that these things are hidden from us. Sons of God, baptized, they mystically died, risen again, 
anointed and fed daily with the body of Christ. We Christians, Catholics especially, because Catholics, as well as Orthodox, have the Holy Mass. We are the ones who uphold the world. The sons of God are the ones who uphold the world. The world would disintegrate completely if not for the presence of Christians. This is absolutely <coughs> reality. And more specifically, the Eucharistic mystery keeps the world together. St. John Fisher, who died for the Mass, the Bishop of Rochester, uh, he ran afoul of Henry VIII and died for the Mass, for the priesthood. He said that if the Mass would be snuffed out throughout the whole world, it would be worse than if the sun just stopped burning. The sun uh, would just go black. It would be worse than that. The Holy Mass is the true... We no longer believe that, that uh, the world literally goes around uh, the sun, but the spiritual sun, we're still spiritual heliotropists in the sense that the Holy Mass is the center of creation around which everything turns. The Carthusians say it a little bit differently, which is the cross is, the cross stays, uh, um, uh, it, it stays, uh, what is it, Dominion? The cross stays Dominion. Do you know in Latin? Stat crux. Dum voluntur ovis. Dum voluntur ovis. The cross stays still while the world turns. But it's the axis mundi. It's the axis of the world. So we are the ones who keep things together. There would be a lot of people who wouldn't like to hear that. There is, a, there is a, an old legend that I'll stop with this. There's an old legend that was told to me by a Greek Orthodox bishop, uh, Orthodox bishops, uh, Orthodox uh, uh, Christianity being having everything that Catholicism has except for uh, the, the universal ministry of the Pope. They have all the sacraments and all of the priesthood and everything. A Greek Orthodox bishop told me that there's a legend that says that somewhere in a cave there are three monks. Three monks who live in a cave, who are hidden, but who pray for the world. And that if these three monks were to stop praying, the world would disintegrate. So you could say, well, that's a stupid story. What does that mean? It's a symbol. It's symbolic. The three monks are Christians. We are the ones. We're the sons of God. We are the ones that all of creation depends upon. It is through us the creation fell, and through us, through Christ in us, the creation is being restored to its purpose. Mankind, Adam and Eve, Adam, was supposed to be the priest of creation. God gave him creation, and he was to take the creation, to cultivate it, and to give it back to God as an offering. He refused. He said, this thing is mine. I didn't want it. 
its mind. That is the anti-Eucharistic heresy that is the source of the fall of man. To say that it's mine and not God's. The refusal to give thanks by offering it back to God. That is the original sin. So what we do at Holy Mass every Sunday or every day if we go is the meaning of the universe. It is the secret meaning of the universe. I wish all of the people of Ireland would know this. All of the, all of the young people in Ireland. If they knew, if they only knew what it was, it's not a bunch of just kind of unintelligent people who um, believe in fairy tales, who, who go to this, this ridiculous thing called mass. They get to understand if they only understood. Uh, St. John Vianney said something to the effect of, if men knew what the mass was, they would die of love. They would die of So I'll leave you with that uh, remarkable saying. And may we all, uh, may, may we never take for granted the Holy Mass. Never take for granted. And never allow ourselves to, to, to receive communion in an unworthy state. This is what the world revolves around. So may we make it the center of our lives, even as it is the center.